Withhold not your truth or kindness, Lord. Withhold not your truth or kindness, Lord. Thanks for tuning into the Notice Podcast. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice Podcast explores our need to be noticed through biblical musings and conversations with special guests experience relevant topics, and encouragement as we take notice of the mercy of God. On this episode of The Notice, have you ever accomplished something but felt undeserving of it? Maybe you even ignored a warning because you already know, or brushed off some kind of criticism because you felt you knew better. Join me for this episode where I share musings about the smartest person in the room and how taking notice helps us mature in our relationship with God, self, and others. I was in a meeting the other day at work where frustration began to mount. While discussing details surrounding a problem, everyone in the room came up with different solutions. As the conversation got more technical, One of my colleagues just started taking over the meeting. As I sat silently in my chair, I took notice. I noticed what an eloquent and articulate communicator he was and how he appeared to love hearing himself use big words. I noticed how he delighted in thinking of things that others hadn't. I concluded in my thoughts, he's probably the smartest person in the room. But as I reflected on this meeting, I began to wonder, was he really the smartest person in the room? Or was it because he appeared to want to be the smartest? Or was he just competent? Maybe his patronizing tone and how easily he points out others' mistakes without acknowledging his own left me wondering. It wasn't the first time I experienced someone needing to be the alpha in the room. And then there's me. I'm a big picture thinker who thinks in landscapes instead of minutia. I'm also someone quick to admit my mistakes. Interestingly enough, I had one supervisor who thought the world of me when I told them my mistakes. But then I had another who lost trust in my abilities when I fessed up on my mistakes. It seems that these abilities we have in character can overlap. But what if the smartest person in the room tends to acknowledge talents and abilities over character? In order to have peace about this, I at first sought to understand. As I pulled out my computer and Googled the smartest person in the room, imagine my surprise when my research identified that there is such a thing as the smartest person in the room syndrome. Yes, friends, there is a syndrome. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yikes. According to Schlosser and Dunning and Kruger, the Dunning-Kruger effect is when one overestimates their own skills, knowledge, and achievements. Common behavior or someone with this includes a person who ignores warnings because they already know or may brush off criticism because they feel they know better and they often need to have the last word and dominate a group. Bingo. Friends, I work in higher education. 
getting accepted into prestigious schools, getting awards, earning multiple degrees, and elevating talent are not only encouraged, but embraced. And certainly, we are drawn to others who are accomplished or creative. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes just associating with others who are intellectually, athletically, or creatively successful, well, it can make us feel validated. Intelligence and talent often trumps character, but it can also be a breeding ground for pride and even insecurity. One of the positions I worked in higher ed was in missions. I specifically worked with adult learners who were interested in coming back to school to finish their degree. It was interesting because I saw this pattern. Individual after individual who came in to see about getting a degree apologized for not finishing their degree. And I think they felt inferior to those who did. I suppose it's normal to cower when we haven't accomplished what we know we're capable of, but maybe sometimes we even overcompensate. Maybe you're someone who got a promotion at work, but feel you only got it because of luck. Or maybe you got into an Ivy League school, but feel like it was some kind of mistake. Some feel like we are hiding behind this mask of fraudulence, worried that somehow we're going to be exposed. If any of these kinds of feelings or experiences sound familiar, guess what? You may have experienced another syndrome, the imposter syndrome. While imposter syndrome develops when one underestimates their own value, skills, and accomplishment and is scared to be found out, the Dunning-Kruger effect is the polar opposite. So you might ask, why, Susan, why bother taking notice of these syndromes? After all, syndromes don't typically have a solution. Well, I frequently default to the command in Luke, which states, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For those who have read my book, A Firm Grass, I concluded that the as yourself part of this verse references one of our strongest problem-solving devices, self-awareness. By recognizing our weaknesses, defaults, and strengths accurately, we are more free to love God and others. Friends, self-awareness is about taking notice. We are also given a warning about self-evaluation in Romans 12.3, which states, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. So friends, let's just take a deeper look at these two extremes. The Dunning-Kruger effect. Researchers call blind spots ignorance of one's ignorance. Perhaps we don't think we're being insensitive or critical, although others experience us that way. Maybe we don't think we're being rude when we actually are. Recognizing one's shortcomings can be incredibly helpful to us. And as believers, we really do need to be open to that kind of correction. So maybe here's some questions to ask yourself. One, are you a know-it-all? 
We have all known a person that is a know-it-all. And perhaps we ourselves have know-it-all moments. It can be challenging to talk to someone who acts like they know everything. I've personally experienced this with the artistic temperament. Artists are highly specialized in one specific area of life, so they assume that everyone should just be as specialized about their subject as they are about theirs, even those who work at McDonald's. When they discover they aren't, they get extremely frustrated. Two, do you have difficulties with superiors or colleagues? Because those experiencing the Dunning-Kruger effect cannot admit their wrongs and come off as a know-it-all, it can evoke conflict. Seeing ourselves as more capable and knowledgeable creates an us-versus-them mentality. Tell me about your employee reviews. Are they awkward? Does the conflict turn into defensiveness? On the other side of the coin is imposter syndrome. By definition, the chronic feeling of fraudulent self-doubts and inadequacy. Unfortunately, there tends to be a lack of awareness of imposter syndrome, and many of us experience imposter syndrome without even realizing it. This typically arises in competitive environments or environments where one's abilities may be measured in some capacity. So you might see imposter syndrome in college students, medical students, and high-level professionals. Individuals experiencing imposter syndrome will often attribute their successes to luck, mistake, or a misperception by everyone else. And it can foster a host of negative traits and mental disorders. Imposter syndrome, in and of itself, is not formally recognized as a mental disorder. However, if not recognized and managed, imposter syndrome can lead to burnout, anxiety, depression, emotional exhaustion, low self-esteem, and chronic stress. These averse traits can lead to a decline in mental health, physical well-being, relationships, and work performance. So I wonder as I wander. Sometimes I've been the know-it-all and sometimes I've felt like an imposter. I'm thinking that what Paul is trying to get at in Romans 12.3 is not about thinking of yourself as more than someone else, but also not thinking about yourself as less than someone. I think he's really encouraging us to measure ourselves honestly. I wonder if thinking of ourselves too less is the same problem as thinking of ourselves too much. Both seem to warrant attention on self. I don't think it's unusual that those who want to be the smartest person in the room and those with imposter syndrome might be manifesting defensiveness. Of course, we have valid reasons to be self-protective. I'm not talking about those times when we don't want to burn ourselves on the stove. Defensiveness usually shows up in classes, groups, or meetings at work when someone else is getting attention. When feeling threatened, we may create a hard shell around us by isolating, retreating, or putting ourselves or even others down. I've also seen in a group setting that when somebody feels threatened, inferior, or nervous, 
They try to take charge. They try to be the first person to speak or try to control the conversation. Much like the puffer fish who, when threatened, puts on a show of crazy proportion to make sure his enemies know who is in charge, this person just can't get settled. In Jess Connolly's book, Wild and Free, she discusses the way we try to self-protect in one of her chapters. She develops these characters, if you will. Let me, let me share some descriptions. The Iron Woman. This is someone who just, their defensive nature is, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. The Achiever will say, I'm competent. Look at everything I've done. The scared and small will just go, I'm too much. I'm just too much. The regretter will think, I don't get a do-over. The controller has to be in a schedule. The challenger says, I have to stand up for myself. The restless wanderer says, I have to move on. I'm just out of here. The busy bee says, I have to be busy. The victim says, I'd like to know why life is so hard for me. And the perfectionist says, I have to do it well. Friends, this got me thinking, why do we need to protect ourselves in group situation? What is it that we're scared of? What if we entered a room not even looking for the smartest or most insecure person? And what if levels weren't even a thing? And what if through mercy, we discovered that those in our group are possibly just covering up some deep-rooted fear? Would that change our response to them? Or better yet, what would it look like if we took notice of God being the smartest person in the room? How would our perceptions change about ourselves, about others? Friends, I just have to say this. Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. So often we think of Jesus as spiritual, in a way disconnected from our reality. In fact, some consider Jesus as religiously idealistic, but not as they say, street smart. Maybe you think Jesus knows how things ought to be, but perhaps he's not so incisive on how things really are. Of course, Jesus is a good teacher, but in the popular imagination, pretty much a naive one. Dallas Willard explains it this way. The world has succeeded in opposing intelligence to goodness. And today, attempt to combine spirituality or moral purity with great intelligence cause widespread pangs of cognitive dissonance. Mother Teresa, for example, no more than Jesus, is thought of as smart, nice, of course, but not really smart. Smart means, ma- means good at managing how life really is. Now, Jesus knows exactly how things really are, and in fact knows how things really are better than anyone else. Consider the Sermon on the Mount. We may look over the ethos of the sermon and find the whole thing utterly impractical towards getting ahead in the world. 
Yet one of the underlying points of the sermon is that getting ahead in the world is, well, useless. Friends, perhaps the reality is, is that we look at Jesus as, please, I'm a child looking for tips on playing checkers, when all along Jesus is actually playing chess. That is because as God, our thoughts are not his thoughts. And Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. In Mark 1.22 we read, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he thought them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The sort of authority Jesus is wowing them with here is not the kind accumulated through years of study. Jesus taught with the authority of God. His authority doesn't come from education, achievements, or talents, but from authorship. He told me all I ever did, the Samaritan woman declares in John 4.39. This is because he foreknew it all, declared it all, and saw it all. The other reason that God is the smartest person in the room is because he sees what's beneath the surface. He understands and sees our motives. Too often, we think we know another's motives when we truly don't. In James's Richard's book, How to Stop the Pain, he explains how we can make observations, but we really can't determine someone else's motives. Otherwise, we end up judging someone based on our perception of their motives rather than what they actually did or said. I guess, friends, we don't know it all. So it makes total sense then to believe Jesus is the smartest person in the room. The important thing is, are we making room for him in the room? Or are we hoping others are making room for us? If indeed the presence of God gives us access to the smartest person in the room, we can lean on him for something much greater than talent or intelligence. Wisdom. In James 1.5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So, friends, I guess it doesn't really matter what our educational background is, our degrees, talents, or achievements, but rather it's our access to Jesus, our access to him and the gifts of the Holy Spirit builds our character. And in God's economy, character really matters. There are so many ways to get off balance. And viewing ourselves accurately is one of the inconsistencies of, well, being human. I remember a music teacher telling me once, you know you are a professional musician when what you sound like is exactly what you think you sound like. I actually go back to that thought often because too often we think we're better or less than and it's like being on a seesaw, and it all depends on who we are comparing ourselves to. That's the beauty of self-awareness, accountability, and feedback. Listeners, I hope you take this kind of inventory in your life on a regular basis. It's good to have someone in your life to be your mirror, to let you know both your strengths and weaknesses, 
and help you look at yourself honestly. Maybe it's a friend, a pastor, a small group leader, or a spiritual mentor. If you don't have someone, consider one-on-one mentoring through Affirm Ministries. A session would include a little bit of coaching, counseling, mentoring, spiritual discipleship, and mirroring. Be sure to visit my website at susankhookster.com for more information. I'd love to spend time with you. In the meantime, I pray that you take notice of the smartest person in the room.